Well, hello. Welcome to Faith Life 365. This is podcast number 13, and we are talking about hindrances to faith. So if you miss past podcasts, you can go back, listen, and get caught up. Now, in podcast 12, we continued talking about how a lack of understanding of the new covenant is a hindrance to our faith, and that was part three. Now, in part three, we talked about the old covenant and God's blood covenant with Abraham and how, as Christians, we are the seed of Abraham and have the promises of the old covenant that were made to Abraham. Now, in this podcast, part four, we are going to start talking about the new covenant. So let's pray and get started. Father God, oh, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Father, we praise your holy name, and we thank you and praise you, Father, for all the many blessings that you give us on a daily basis. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord God, that you will open our eyes, that we may see in our ears, that we may hear and understand your word now as we study and read. Father, renew our minds. Give us knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Grow our faith, Lord, as we hear your word today. Amen. Now, understanding the new covenant. It seems simple enough, right? Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. He became the everlasting blood sacrifice for all of our sins. All we have to do is have faith, believe on him, confess him as our Lord, and our sins are cleansed, washed away, removed, and we have eternal life. It's the free gift of God. Well, all of that is true, but there's so much more. I mean, that is just the beginning. What is God's plan uh, for us under the new covenant? Why is the new covenant so much better? We talked about how in the beginning God gave Adam all authority in the earth. Well, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 of the King James Version says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Well, when Adam sinned, he gave all of that authority in the earth that God had given him over to Satan. Now, at that point, Satan became the ruler of the earth and all therein. When God gives us something, it's ours. If we give it away, he honors that. Well, Adam's sin no doubt hurt God. He created him in his image to rule over the earth, to have a relationship with him. Satan had no authority in the earth. Adam failed to exercise the authority that God had given him. Adam could have commanded the serpent or Satan to leave the garden. It says he was there with Eve. He could have refused to eat of the forbidden fruit. Instead, Adam made a conscious choice to disobey God. In that instant, Adam handed his authority in the earth over to Satan. So from that point forward, God worked to retake that authority back from Satan and to regain his relationship with mankind. God established blood covenants. These covenants were not pleasant, but they were a reminder of the price of sin. God found a man in Abraham who would keep his blood covenant. Through Abraham, the nation of Israel was created. Then they sinned. God gave them the Mosaic laws. Uh, which included the law of atonement, the sin offering, sacrifices that were to be made to cover sins. These laws are found in Leviticus chapter 16, if you want to go read them. Now, we discussed last podcast how the sin sacrificed atoned or covered for the Israelite sin for one year, but did not cleanse or remove them. Now, God has from the beginning wanted fellowship with us. He created us in His image. Well, Genesis 3 in verse 8, King James Version, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. 
Well, we know from the Scripture that God would walk in the Garden of Eden and fellowship with Adam and Eve. That's, well, that's why they were created. He wanted fellowship with man with his creation. God's perfect plan was to regain that fellowship with us. He made the blood covenant with Abraham. Abraham's great faith in demonstrating that he was willing to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering when God requested that of him paved the way for God to give us the new covenant and retake all authority in this earth, give it to Jesus, who also in turn gives it to us. It took thousands of years. These years included many years of greatness for the nation of Israel when they obeyed God and followed his direction. But there were also many years of heartache, suffering, bondage, when they would sin and not follow God's direction. God sent prophets who prophesied the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One. And when Jesus, the Messiah, did come, He fulfilled every single prophecy to the letter that God had made of Him through the prophets. Now, we can all read the New Testament. It's difficult, though, to gain a complete understanding without having an understanding of the Jewish culture. Jesus was a Jew and followed the law, just as all the other Jews did. He perfectly followed his Father's law, as he was without sin. So we will be talking about and gaining a better understanding of some of the old covenant laws and customs as we go along, so we can better understand things Jesus did and their significance. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, nor have I completed formal studies in Hebrew or Judaism. However, I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. No, 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 I didn't. That's not true. Uh, I don't believe I've ever stayed at one that I can recall. But So anyhow, I do study. I listen to and read books and the works of several Messianic rabbis and Hebrew professors. Now, some of the individuals and broadcasts I really enjoy and think are very good include uh, Discovering the Jewish Jesus broadcast by Rabbi K.I. Schneider and Jonathan Kahn. He's a Messianic Jewish pastor. All author of several best-selling books like The Oracle, The Harbinger, The Harbinger II, um, The Jewish Faith Broadcast, and Dr. and Professor uh, Greg Stevens is, is someone that I've recently learned of and, and started listening to uh, as much as I could. Uh, Dr. Stevens is an associate pastor at Eagle Mountain International Church in Fort Worth, Texas, and he's a professor of Old Testament survey and syllabus at the Kenneth Copeland Bible College in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, uh, he also has an extensive knowledge of the Hebrew language, and uh, Dr. Stevens was on Believer's Voice of Victory broadcast with Kenneth Copeland for five weeks straight, and this was a very uh, enlightening series. Now, there are other, many others out there, and I suggest you seek out and listen to their teachings. It'll help you understand many things in the Bible uh, that we in our Western culture often miss. So under the Old Covenant, only the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, the Israelites, those who had been circumcised in accordance with the Old Covenant, were covered. Now, all others were Gentiles. Gentiles simply meaning those without God and did not have a means of repenting and receiving atonement or covering for their sins. Jesus and the New Covenant changed all of that. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18 of the New Living Translation, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus." Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. 
for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups, together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. See, Jesus perfectly and completely fulfilled prophecy. He brought the Jews and Gentiles together. He gave all of mankind an opportunity to become a new creation in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16-21, through 21, English Standard Version. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The New Living Translation says it like this. Yes, I'm going to read it again. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task, reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God accounted Abraham as righteous because of his faith. As Christians, through Jesus the Messiah, we have been made the righteousness of God, meaning we have been made right with God. Let's look now at the Last Supper and its significance. Now, this meal was part of the establishment of the new covenant. And Jesus had a covenant meal with the disciples. To better understand this meal, we need to understand Passover and the Seder meal. Many believe that Passover is only a Jewish holiday and a feast, but that's not the case. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 4 through 6 of the English Standard Version. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of the unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Passover is a feast 
of the Lord. It's the Lord's feast. It's not the Jews' feast to the Lord. It's the Lord's feast. The first Passover was performed in Egypt to protect the Israelites' firstborn children. The Lord told Moses he would kill every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. It was the last of the plagues that God poured out. It was actually the last plague that God poured out against Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. The Israelites were to sacrifice a lamb and have a meal. They were to place the blood of the lamb at the top of their door and on the two doorposts. Now, when the Lord passed through Egypt, he would pass over any house that had the blood on the door, and they would be spared. If you picture that door in your mind, you may even see the symbolism of a cross of the blood at the top and the two sides. The Israelites were commanded to continue the Passover feast as an ordinance from generation to generation forever. The Seder meal is eaten after sundown on the evening preceding Nisan 15. Now, Nisan is the Hebrew month in which Passover falls as mandated by the Torah, and that's in the spring. The Seder meal marks the beginning of Passover, which is a seven-day feast of the Lord. Jesus was crucified during Passover. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 16, English Standard Version. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? This is the Seder meal we know now. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, Dr. Stevens, who I referred to earlier, he points out that Mark 14, 13 says in part, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Now, Dr. Stevens says that in those days, women always carried the water and filled the water jars from the well. He further explains that stone jars or pots were used as purification vessels by the priest because they had no impurities in them, and they would remain pure, unlike clay pots. Now, Dr. Stevens believes this indicates that the man carrying the jar of water would most likely uh, have been a priest carrying water in a stone jar used for purification. Dr. Stevens also pointed out that in 2017, Israeli archaeologists excavated a 2,000-year-old stone quarry and production center for stone vessels not far from the ancient city of Cana, And this is where Jesus performed the first recorded miracle, turning the water into wine. And uh, some of these stone pots would have held 20 to 30 gallons and are the same as those Jesus would have filled with water to be turned into wine. It's very, pretty awesome information, I think. So there are some that argue that Jesus did not eat a Seder meal with the disciples for the Last Supper. Yet what the Bible tells us about the Last Supper lines up perfectly with the Seder meal. Again, I will not get into the argument. You know, I believe Jesus, I believe Jesus was eating the Seder meal with the disciples and, uh, and used this meal to bring us from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant, giving us what we know as Holy Communion or Holy Sacrament, the Lord's Table, the Last Supper, uh, Eucharist. Some just say Communion or Sacrament, and other names are used as well. But let's look at the Seder meal and the Last Supper. There are only three ingredients commanded in the Bible for the Seder meal, and that's lamb, bitter herbs, and matzah. All the other items and stuff were added by the sages and priests and rabbis to help people better appreciate what God did for his people. 
Jewish families partake in the Seder meal every year in the Hebrew month of Nisan, and the Seder meal is eaten after sundown or at twilight on the evening of Nisan the 15th. I'm not going to go into every part of the meal, so if you're Jewish, I know I'm not covering every aspect, and this is not going to be perfect as I'm not Jewish and haven't practiced this. The Seder meal is is usually eaten by following the Haggadah, and and I'm not positive I pronounced that correctly. It's H-A-G-G-A-D-A-H. I apologize for any mispronunciations. The Hebrew word Haggadah means telling or the telling. The Haggadah is a book that sets forth the order of the Seder meal. The Hebrew word Seder means order. So the Haggadah is a book providing the order of the meal. So the Seder meal goes something like this. The woman of the home lights candles because she sets the spiritual tone of the home. And she will usually say something like, Or blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with thy commandments and has commanded us to kindle the holiday lights. A blessing is set over the first of four cups of wine that will be drank throughout the meal. There are some who believe there may have been three cups in the time of Jesus. The first cup of wine is called the cup of sanctification. It is to commemorate the promise. God said, I will bring you out. It's customary, some say, required to lean back and recline to the left on the cushions when drinking the cups of wine and eating some of the elements of the meal. Uh, One should picture themselves as just having left Egyptian slavery. They should recline back as royalty and as nobility would do as a sign of freedom. The host washes his hands in ceremonial tradition. Three pieces of matzah are stacked together. The matzah is unleavened bread. It's very thin. It's much like a saltine cracker, but it has no salt. It is much larger. If you examine matzah bread, you will notice it has the appearance of being striped and pierced or perforated. It has no leaven in it. The three pieces of matzah represent Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some refer to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The middle piece of matzah representing Isaac or the Son is taken out and broken. Now the smaller piece of this is placed back in the middle. The larger piece is wrapped in a white linen cloth and hidden or buried somewhere in the room. This piece is called the afikomen, this A-F-I-K-O-M-E-N, According to Jewish scholar David Dalby, afikomen is actually a Greek word meaning the coming one. Other Hebrew definitions say it means after dinner or that which comes after. At some point, during or after the meal, the children are encouraged to find the afikomen. The child who finds it will often exchange it for a gift or a treat of some sort. The Passover story is told or read aloud from the Haggadah. The second cup of wine is poured. The second cup is called the cup of plagues. It reflects the plagues that came upon Egypt, and it relates to the second promise. God said, I will free you from being slaves. Now, at some point after the second cup, there is a second washing where everyone washes their hands. Bitter herbs are eaten. Matzah is dipped into bitter herbs. Horseradish is often used in this mix. Uh, The bitter herbs represent the bitterness of their lives while being enslaved in Egypt. It represents slavery and suffering. Parsley, or romaine lettuce, is dipped into salt water and eaten. And the salt water represents the tears that the children of Israel cried in Egypt. The parsley represents the youth of Israel as a nation, young and green. Sometimes a second dip occurs, and the second dip may represent Egypt going through the Red Sea. Now note, there's usually an empty place setting with a glass of wine that is set for Elijah, as the Bible says that Elijah would come and precede the Messiah. 
The main course of roasted lamb is then eaten. A blessing is said after the meal. The afikoman is found by a child and brought back to the table. And the afikoman matzah is broken into small pieces and distributed. Everyone eats of the bread. The door of the house is then opened, usually by a child, to see if Elijah is there and to welcome him into the home. A third cup of wine is poured. The third cup is called the cup of redemption, where God says, I will redeem you. Everyone then sings Psalms 113 to 118, the praise Psalms. The fourth cup of wine is poured, and the fourth cup is called the cup of completion. And God says, I will take you as my own people. Now, this usually ends the evening. Now, this is, this is not a perfect rendition of exactly how it's done in every Jewish home. I know that, but it's, it's close. It gets the points that we want to look at. There are differences, you know, and other foods are used, uh, but this gives you a general idea of how the Seder meal is taken every year by the Jewish people and has been for thousands of years. We are out of time again for this podcast, but I want you to join us in the next podcast. We're going to pick up right here, and uh, we're going to continue talking about the Passover meal, the Seder meal, and the Last Supper. Thank you for listening. May God bless you and keep you today and every day as we grow in faith and live the faith life 365 days per year.